paying attention to the news, but Israel is over there fighting. Uh, they say a ceasefire is in place, but I'm telling you what, it's getting closer. Uh, you got a little nation over there that'll just blow the snot out of you, man, and they're, they're called Israelis. I've been there seven, eight months, and I've watched them people live, and I mean, little girls run around that you think little girls, they got Uzis on their back, and they're Israeli soldiers. I mean, they'll take you out. They'll just take you out. And I was reading the article there, and it said that basically uh, there's a ceasefire that's going to start either, I think it was 1130 last night or tonight or something like that. But in any case, they said, if, if they break this, we remain, the, we remain to have the right to defend ourselves forcibly. Uh, they went over and took two people out. Now, I don't know about you, but I, that excites me. I mean, it, it's, well, yeah, I just want to say this before I get any further into that. Uh, Brother Schellebarger passed away, and his funeral is Tuesday at, at uh, he's in heaven right now. So that same thing they just sung about right there, he already knows what heaven's like. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. On, on August the 4th, when he took his last breath, uh, Brother Schellebarger was gone, 83 years old, gone. Uh, he's not there anymore. That's real, real stuff. And just like the stuff going on in Israel right now, that's real stuff. And people don't get it. They think, oh, it's just, no, that's real stuff. That's Bible stuff. Uh, we're born to die, and in the process of living, you either get saved or you go to hell. That's the bottom line. And in the end of this thing, I hope I don't mess your message up, brother. But in the end of that thing, Israel's coming back up over there. And when they come up, we go down. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Well, guess what? The rest of the world has got to decrease and that little place has to increase. And you're talking about, I, I'm shouting, man. I get, I get goosebumps on the back of my head, man, when I start talking about that. Because it just means that heaven's getting closer to me. And people sit there and they want to care about all the stupid little stuff, ignorant stuff, the, the moronic stuff that goes on on this planet. Your 401k, all that stuff, fine, got it, keep it. But it doesn't matter, man. At one moment, we could be out of here. John, uh, oh, Brother Tom, I'll turn it over to you. I'll shut up. But, man, I tell you what, that, that excited me, man. And then I threw Dan in on top of that. I'm like, man, he's gone. He's at home. Uh, pray for Bobby. She's now alone, but uh, she's a sweetheart, too. Uh, here's the thing. This is a new one. How to turn it on. I'm looking. On. Thank you for the songs. I enjoyed it. Do I have to hold it to make it go on? Nothing lit up. There it goes, there it goes. Anyway, New Jerusalem, that goes back to 1990, 91 on a thing called a cassette, which is a little rectangle plastic thing with tape in it. Okay, I see lights. Action. Is anything happening on this thing? Good. That was good. Nobody sings that song, and I always liked it. And uh, it may be a thousand years plus away before it comes to earth, but Dan's enjoying it right now. And uh, it's a good deal. And then the first song, well, that I got something out of that. You know, uh, Christ finished what Adam couldn't. Uh, he was told to you know, replenish the earth. So I was thinking, Jesse, Adam, come on. Man. <laughs> Dad, Mom did their part. <laughs> I was chuckling inside thinking of that. Anyway, take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Appreciate your prayers on this. Uh, what I'm going to preach about because... Uh, I didn't realize the spiritual battle, or battle I was entering into until this morning. It finally hit me why I was having so much trouble. 
And, and so anything could go wrong, so I'm going to ask Adam if he would pray and pray for uh, God's blessing in the nursery and all around the church. And So nothing goes crazy here, if you would. Amen. I was... I hope my mom's watching. Hi, mom. Yeah, I'm losing a lot here. <laughs> She's probably saying, boy, that boy's losing a lot. Uh, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Yeah. Careful, careful. That's what Martha was. She was full of care, full of care. Pastor mentioned it this morning. Fits right in there. God doesn't want you to be full of care for anything. That's what I appreciate about our pastor. We go through different events here, and he just rolls with them. I like that. That helps me to strive to do that, too, because I'm not normally like that. Anyway, if you'll do these things, verse 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's where we have trouble, the mind. The heart and the mind. The heart and the mind. Uh, I've been having some problems, so I'm going to preach on a subject that I'm struggling with. And, uh, and the Lord wouldn't make a lot of stuff clear to me. So I don't want you to think it's something I have a handle on and I'm just putting it down on you. No, that's not the case. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to preach on prayer. And uh, it's something I don't think... I don't think any of us are ever going to be satisfied with our prayer life. Amen. Amen. I don't think you ever will. I think God's got to fix that way so you keep striving because he likes to see the struggle. He likes to see you fight it. He likes to see you give it all you got while you're here on earth because once you get to heaven, you won't need faith. You'll have sight. You won't need, to need it like we need it now. But uh, anyway, it'll keep your hearts and your minds if you'll pray and, and uh Make your requests be known unto God. Uh, I like how it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, everything you do. I want to encourage you tonight. Here's why the devil's fighting. Is make prayer a part of everything you do. Put it in there. Try to get God in on what you're doing. You, you hear pastor talk about, he prays about buying stuff. I don't know what he does when he's acting the Jacob part. If he just, <laughs> I don't know about that. But anyway, pray about it and uh, watch what God will do. We've tried to teach our kids this, and they've seen some things as children. They, my kids have had things, crazy things given to them. To, you know, my wife wanted this doll at the library. She wanted a particular doll. It was over 100 bucks. I wasn't going to buy it. I wasn't going to pay that money for that. She got two of them. One she bought at a Goodwill. It was like new for $40. She paid for half, I paid for half, and she really appreciated it. And the other one she got for free at a, for reading library books at the library. And she, you know, and my other son's got things that happened, little things that were given to him. And uh, it was because my, my wife taught him how to pray. Pray for those things. Ask God for it. Anyway, turn to John 17. I'll try to come at this thing about prayer couple different ways and see how they come out. I don't have a good outline or anything like that. I'm going to just try to plow a straight line. If we hit some stumps or rocks, I'm good at throwing rocks out of my garden. I don't know about the stumps. Kind of weak, but we'll see what, what God will do with us. 
John 17, look at verse 1. Here's, here's the Lord Jesus Christ praying. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now watch this statement. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I like that definitive statement from Jesus Christ. If you were to ask somebody that's been through Bible Institute or or, or a preacher that studied, what is eternal life? You know, well, brother, it's, it's everlasting. It's living forever. Well, yeah, that's part of it. When I was young, I, you know, in the 70s and 80s, before I was saved, I liked to watch boxing. I liked to see a good fight. I won't name the characters because all the older folks know who they are. But I get a kick out of it because they'd wear them boxing shorts and there'd be a big rectangle right here that said, Everlast. Them guys that wouldn't last more than three to ten rounds, and they were out. <laughs> Pop them just right in the, in the right spot, and man, they was down for the count. But yes, eternal life is everlasting, but eternal life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at our relationship for a minute. Now turn over to 1 John chapter uh, 5, I believe. 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to come at this prayer and our relationship. Um, you know, 1 John 1.12, it says, But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you're saved, you're a son of God because you believed on his name. So you're related. You're in the new family. But look at... Uh, 1 John chapter 5, and uh, somewhere around, well, I'll just pick it up in verse 11, because that's an easy place to start. This is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now drop your eyes down to uh, verse 19. And we know that, the, that we are of God, if you're saved, you know we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now don't that fit today? And it's, fit, it's fit every century as far as God's concerned. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him. That is true, and we are in him that is true, even the Son, Jesus Christ. Now look, here's a statement John saying, This is the true God in eternal life. Like I say, it's wrapped up in God the Father, God the Son, eternal life. If you're in Christ, you have it now if you've trusted him by belief. So you're in the family. Now wouldn't you say that in any relationship, communication is a big part of that? Real big part of that. I mean, uh, physical relationships. I've got cousins, and you've got cousins, aunts, uncles. I've got cousins. I was thinking about it. I've got an uncle that lived in England for a period of time when I was young. And I got thinking about it. I haven't seen... i got cousins I don't even know. I wouldn't recognize them. 
They got, we got the same last name. And uh, I may have been in a room with them over 50 years ago, but I don't know them. But I'm related. I've got the same grandfather, you know, things like that. And uh, this is a physical relationship, okay? I'm related to these people. you got people, you're related to them. I don't talk to them because of the distance or busy lives or I don't really know them. And I find it. Christians will do that on the spiritual level. Amen. They'll get to where they, they'll get too busy or, or they're too far away. And that's kind of funny because uh, God being omni, omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time. He's real close. He's close. You can pray to him. Amen. But then I got thinking about it. Sometimes he wants you to humble yourself. And it's amazing that those few steps from your seat up to the altar... Well, maybe that's just too far for some, because some just never make it that distance. Now, granted, you don't have to come to the altar, but uh, he does want to hear from you. And, uh, I mean, it, the location of where you pray, I used to, I like praying in the car when I drive to work. I got 10 miles of road on 380, and I don't have any traffic, and I'm out in the country, and that's where I love to pray. And over the years, I've done that, and over the few years, uh, with sons working at the shop, I have drove with them, and it kind of falls apart, so i got to find another place. But David's moved out, so <laughs> I, got my, I got my other prayer place back. I like to pray in the car, and I'll listen to some songs occasionally, talk to the Lord, and uh, that's a, a spot for me, one of them. So relationships uh, thrive on communication, talking to each other, just like husbands and wives. The Lord wants you to talk to them. Um, we get too busy. I'm guilty of this. I get too busy. I'm very busy at work, mentally, with lots of numbers and, and trying to accomplish things. We're behind, and we can't keep up in the hours we work. And, and I'm trying to keep a good balance on life, like some people do. And uh, it's tough. I've struggled with praying. Um, so how is it with the Lord? Is he too far from you sometimes? Um, do you seem too busy? If you'll, if you'll talk to him in prayer, it, it, communication in prayer brings forth growth and strengthens a relationship physically. It'll do the same thing spiritually. Um, <clears throat> so that's the angle of relationship for you. There's a fellow, E.M. Bounds wrote books on prayer. And if you had all of them, I don't know, the volumes probably stack up to about this wide. You've got quite a few of them. I appreciate one year one of the evangelists, old preacher Dan, Dan Metters, put out a little purple-covered booklet that was small, like a three-by-five, and he had a condensed version of one of E.M. Bounds' books, and it was great. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. I got it somewhere. That's more my style, small <laughs> But if, if you were to study all of E.M. Bounds' works from here to the rapture or from here till you kick the bucket and leave this world, it's not going to do you any good if you don't apply some of it. Amen. Because if you get to reading his stuff, it, every other paragraph is going to just put you under conviction and you're going to realize how big a mess I am and we're, we're already down on ourselves because we struggle with prayer, which is normal. But... Uh, you got to apply it. You just got to do it. You just got to try to make a habit of it. Try and work at it. It's a constant fight. I, I do it. 
let's, uh, that leads me to the same chapter, verse um, 14. Chapter 5, verse 14 of First uh, John, it says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. I love this chapter because it's got a lot of these, we know, we know, we know. And if you don't know going into it, by the time you get done reading the chapter, you can know these things. Just like you, if you can know you're saved without a shadow of doubt, you can know that your petitions made it up past the ceiling. And uh, even though Old Testament verses say, you know, that your iniquities have hid His face from you and all that, you've got an intercessor up there in Jesus Christ that overrides that Old Testament. And you may be out of sorts, but He hears your cry. Somehow the Holy Spirit will, will do a work and turn that thing, and He's for you, like Pastor said this morning. And I heard it in Travis's message at the jail. He's for us. Don't beat yourself up. He's for you. He wants you to succeed. I told an inmate this morning, I said, God hears your prayers. You're sure you're saved? Just pray and ask Him. Uh, I'm confident because of the Word of God. And it, this is where I got my confidence. Those verses right there. He hears you and He has your petitions. And uh, that's, a, that's a precious thing when you think about it. Your Savior loves you. He wants to communicate with you. And if you don't communicate, well, you might, you might suffer some trouble and it put you in a tight spot like those guys at the jail. So they'll talk to Him. On the outside, they aren't going to talk to them. But when they get in there and they don't have anything going on and they can't run around and do what they want, well, what's left? <laughs> you can't call your relatives. About all they can do is pray if they're saved. And there's a lot of them in jail, sadly to say. Anyway, it says there uh, in verse um, 14, if we ask, ask anything, ask. Now let me give you a definition here. A definition for prayer and out of Webster's old 1828. One of them is to ask with earnestness or zeal as for a favor, to entreat, to supplicate. You look up the other words, they say the same thing, to ask, to pray fervently, you know, to ask. I heard a preacher say one time, well, praying is asking, praying is asking. Yeah, that's part of it. Now listen to the second definition. I like this one. Um, especially because I couldn't get my head together to think anything like this. Listen to this. In worship, to address the supreme being, that'd be God, with solemnity and reverence for adoration, confession of sins, supplication for mercy, and thanksgiving for blessings received. If you can accomplish all that, man, you pray. <laughs> and, and really, that, that is kind of an example of the Lord's Prayer over in Luke 11. Let's go over to Luke 11. I like what that says. It's well thought up. And I realize, as a Catholic boy, they taught us to say the Hail Marys and, the, and Our Fathers, and I still remember my grandmother taking a rosary and getting down on her knees and getting me next to her and saying, this is what you do, Tom. This bead, you pray this, this bead. And they taught us in the church over there. It never took for me. I was a bad boy. I remember as a little boy, I stole some of them rosaries. 
They had them hanging by the back door at that Catholic church over in Beaver Creek. Now, I remember I collected about two or three of them. I must have been about four or five. I had a couple of them. They were cool. <laughs> but I got rid of them. I never took to that thing. But anyway, I realized this, uh, this prayer here, they called it, you know, say the, our fathers. And you, they'd repeat this thing. And there was a day after I got saved, I, my grandmother, I loved her to death. She, she gave me a lot of counsel as a boy growing up. She really wanted to see us turn out right. She'd tell me good things, practical things, but she, she got mad at me one day when I told her, I said, well, over here in Matthew says, don't be like the heathen with all them vain repetitions. And Oh, she, she said, Tom, now, not everybody knows Jesus like you do, and you're going to have to quit talking about this, or I'm going to run you out of here. <laughs> she said that with her little Polish accent, and I think my wife might have been there with me. That was a neat day, but it was a testimony. She when she said, not everybody knows Jesus like you do. That was sweet. She knew I knew the Lord. And I didn't accomplish a whole lot trying to witness to her, but I tried. Anyway, look at Luke 11, verse 1. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So apparently... John taught his disciples. I can't help but wonder if, if, uh, if uh, John and James Zebedee were some of his disciples that came over to Jesus. I can't help but wonder that. They definitely submitted to John's baptism. All them, all them guys did. But uh, he taught them how to pray. And I imagine he taught them how to pray not like uh, they were used to in the synagogues. They'd seen the Pharisees. They'd seen the show pray and all that junk. And John taught them how to pour out their hearts to God, how to confess their sins, things like that. And the disciples, they see Jesus praying and they want to, they want to, I mean, they want to know how, 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 what he's praying, how he does it. You, at this point, they probably don't realize this is God manifesting the flesh. He's the Christ. They may not fully realize that yet, but they see him praying. And for us on our end, that's an inspiration because... It's, if you think about it, if Jesus Christ being God manifest in the flesh prays to his Father, I guess we'd better be doing it. He did it. He wouldn't have really had to. All he'd have to do is mentally communicate, you know, send waves, whatever he'd do. He didn't have to speak a word. But no, he got on his knees and he prayed and he, and he set an example for us and he said, Verse 2, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If you examine this, this little few verses, it matches that description. And uh, I, I don't pray like this, but it is a template. It's kind of an idea. And there's times that I'll hit verse 4 and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I may not use those words, but I'll say, Lord, please, I hope you do this too. Keep me from temptation, Lord. Please put a blinder on me. Keep me from evil. Our world is full of evil. You know, that's praying in my own words. The same thing. I guess, I guess that's, the, that's the Tom translation. I hope you got one. <laughs> but it's a pattern. And he, as soon as he gets done with this verse 5, he jumps into an illustration. He said unto them, verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him? at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine 
is in a journey, is come to me. I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give, give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, his persistence, his going after it, he's being a pest, really. Because of his importunity, he will rise and give as many as he needeth. And then he laid that out, and then he says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. It, it's, it's that importunity that gets God to move, that pestering him. Uh, I had the other passage about the unjust judge. Jesus taught that men ought to pray always from not faint, and he gives them that illustration of the unjust judge. And he said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. I've talked about that widow woman coming to him and pestering him. And because she pestered him, that unjust judge would make something happen. And then he turned the tables on him and talked about their prayer to God. God wants you to ask. Ask. Like I said in Luke. Um, I don't know if you caught that. The word A-S-K, ask. And in this verse, it's ask. There's your A. Seek. That's, there's your S. K, knock. Those three letters, isn't that cool how it's like that? I, I, I saved a long time for I figured that out. Somebody, I'd have somebody tell me that. I didn't catch it. Um, ask, uh, there's a few verses on ask. If, if James 1.5, you can ask for wisdom. God will give it to you if you ask with the right heart. Um, then you turn over James 4. You don't have to turn there, but James 4, he talks about uh, uh, why do folks war. You know, you ask. You have not because you ask not. You ask amiss. I use that phrase a lot. I tell people to do something that they don't, don't want to do it. And I said, look, you have not because you ask not. I said, you got to ask. You got to call. I have people at work. They need to accomplish things. I said, well, get on the phone and talk to them. They don't want to talk on the phone. Well, you can get something done if you get on the phone Amen. and talk to people. Ask them. Usually it's a money situation where they're complaining about something. I say, if you talk to them, they'll work it out. They'll help you. Ask, seek, and knock. Uh, Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek him. Seek him. Uh, knock. Knock, he has it right in the story there. Uh, verse verse uh, 5, And he said unto them, which, which he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, you know, he's knocking on the door, this, this person. Hey, I need some bread from my friend here. Midnight. <laughs> That'd be like, I'd be just like, go away. <laughs> Leave us alone. I'm not getting up. <clears throat> Ask, seek, and knock. Here's another thought. There's another direction here. Prayer comes natural to the new believer. There's really no age to start. I remember a guy got saved. He was about 79 years old. And at his funeral, his son said, his son told me, he said, his son was saved. And this guy lived like the devil all his life. And his son said, I knew he got saved when we came over for Thanksgiving. And he said, bow your heads and I'll say prayer. And he thought, what is this? He'd never heard their dad pray. Now he's 79 years old, dying of cancer. All of a sudden he wants to pray. 
And I watched this old man as he, after he got saved and he began to get a burden for his family. And he told me that he was starting to pray for his family. He was concerned about them. And that was at 79 years old. He didn't never even start till then. It just comes natural for a new believer to want to communicate, want to talk to God. It just happens. You don't have to really teach them. But boy, is it difficult to keep it up. Boy, do we struggle with it. Uh, Dr. Estep had an illustration years ago. He said, he said, the Christian life is like a tub of water with a bunch of ping pong balls. And each one of them balls has, has something to it. Prayer, Bible reading, witnessing. And he said, and you're trying to hold them all underwater. And about the time you think you got them underwater, poof, one of them suckers rolls up. And that's what it's like in a Christian life. And I never forgot that because it's like that. You're going to struggle with different things at different times. But take hope uh, because those times you'll, you'll get them down. And then eventually when we leave here, you'll have it all together when you leave, but not until. Uh, I think God likes to struggle. He likes to fight. He enjoys seeing you try. He enjoys seeing you. Not that you're trying to get to heaven, just, just trying to live for Him. That's part of living for Him, fighting the good fight of faith. Um, now let's uh, turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Prayer come na comes natural for new believers. Let's see what happens here in Acts chapter 2. And this is a day of Pentecost. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 41. Uh, Peter just gets done preaching and their hearts are pricked. And they say, what shall we do? In verse 37, in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word, Peter's word, the preaching, not the word of God, well, the word of God coming out of his mouth. They didn't have written scriptures. We're baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now watch this. Here's a good balance of the Christian life. And these are just new converts, so to speak. I mean, you know, the gospel of the grace of God hadn't been revealed to Paul yet. Things are a little bit different. These are Jews and Jerusalem. But still, watch these elements here. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And uh, look at uh, verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, eating their meat with singleness, or with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, there's a, there's a healthy combination there. I realize, uh, you know, the breaking of bread, well, maybe, we, you know, we, we go get our donuts. And you all fellowship back there. Or sometimes you go down to McDonald's. That's fun. I like that when you all do that. I like watching all the young people just fellowship. And, and that, that's sweet. That's a, good, that's a good combination there. But there's some unpopular things in this. Uh, one of them I see that, we're, that the church struggles with today is 47. Praising God. Praising God is slipping away. It's, it, it's uh, a lot of these independent Baptists, we've lost our shout. Yeah. And uh, I noticed it. 
I've been in some places, and there are certain songs you sing, and there are certain places you always shout. And if it wasn't, if you wasn't shouting, man, the old preachers would get on you about it. So what happened? Oh, Willie, try that again. I think you missed that. It says shout here. There are certain places that you shout. I love the songs with hallelujah in there. Because people don't do it enough, and God likes it. Holy Spirit likes them words. Whether it's the hallelujahs or the hallelujahs, they're both good, and God likes them. But the church is struggling with praising God, and I hope we don't lose it. I'll tell you another, another uh, unpopular thing, fasting. Whew, that's a hard thing. If you ever want to see God move, though, try fasting coupled in with your prayer. That scared me when I was young. I fasted... I was praying about some things for some people, and I fasted, and man, things happened. They made decisions, some good, some bad. Things happened. It causes some movement, and it, it, it really works. But you don't hear many messages on it because we don't do it. It's hard on us. It's hard. And uh, it's just not popular. But those were valuable tools. Praise is a valuable tool and part of your worship and we, we get into it some here. I sure like it. It sure helps me. Uh, it really does. It, it stirs me up inside and feeds me spiritually. Uh, Brother Drummond has a camp meeting, and I'm going to slip over there because I'm going to get a chance to shout my full head off, and I'll just blend right in. I won't look like the odd duck. But I love it, man. They sing them hymns as loud as they can, and people are shouting, praising God. And we're losing that. A lot of us lost that. It helps the church keep it healthy. It, it's a healthy combination like you see here. Thirdly, things that are unpopular and it scares me is prayer. Prayer. Uh, you know, some of you are taking Bible Institute. That's great. I'm all for it. And you, you'll gain some things to know your Bible. But with your theology, you ought to practice some neology. Get a balance there. People get out of balance. When I took the Bible Institute, um, we were heavily in the jail ministry, and very few of the students would go. And I watched guys go through, and all they kept doing is pumping their head, pumping their head, pumping their head, full of the knowledge. They, you have some street event, some kind of event, prayed, passing out tracts. They wouldn't show up. They didn't get involved nothing to put it out. And many of them ain't worth shooting today. Many of them are out of church. Some of them are in bad shape. It breaks my heart. I did the opposite. I was very slow through Institute, and I got overbalanced, and I went to jail too much. When I got cancer, I was going about three days a week. And the Lord showed me I need to balance that thing out. And the way he did it was strange, but he made it clear to me. And uh, you got to have a balance. Learn your Bible, but try to put it out somewhere. Uh, I mean, I appreciate the Sunday school teachers. They got a chance. They got a little vent to try to instill it in children or, or Tim goes to jail. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> let's look at uh, another one, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We have a situation here where they're choosing the first deacons and... Uh, well, I'll just go right to it. Verse, uh, the end of verse 3, they, they choose out seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. They had some work to do. But we will give ourselves 
this is the apostles talking, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. There's a balance there. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word. That's what they were giving themselves to. Now, I want to read you something. I don't know. Some of you get the Baptist bread. I hope you read the little things, words from the editor. Um, Brother Tim Green had some things in here this past uh, month, and I'll read it to you. Uh, I don't know if you know it. February 9th, 2022, this past February, uh, Dr. Don Green went home to be with the Lord. And he says in his, in his words from the editor, this is an example of somebody giving themselves over to, the, to prayer and the ministry of the word. My dad was a lot of things to a lot of people, pastor, preacher, friend, husband, uncle, and all the things that make up one's life. I think most of all, he was a man of prayer. This is coming from his son. Most of all, he was a man of prayer. Uh, as an example, upon his death, here he's 94 years old, upon his death, his prayer list consisted of 202 pages, containing a list of nearly 3,000 prayer requests, plus hundreds of pastors, evangelists, missionaries, friends, including their children's names that he prayed for daily. And he said often that he prayed for me, Brother Tim, eight to ten times daily. I always wanted him to up that number. Also, there were thousands he had prayed for that preceded him to heaven. There was no need to pray for them anymore. His prayer life was unfathomable, remarked one pastor friend. Yes, he not only had a lengthy prayer list, but he had an effective prayer life. Now that blows me away. I'm going to show you a little bit of, give you a little bit of thoughts on prayer list versus your memory. Um, four of my sons have, on, have his signature on their diploma. We used their school. They have a Christian school in their church, and we used it. They kept our records so that my sons could graduate with a diploma so they wouldn't have any issues in life. I saw some people do that, and I thought, that looks wise, and me and my wife chose to do that. You know, oldest son's 32 now. And uh, I bet you when my kids were going through that, he had on one of them pages of his list all the students that went through their correspondence part of the school. I'm just guessing. But I've, I've seen Dr. Green gathering information at meetings. He'd preach or something, and he'd go into fellowship hall, and he'd start talking to people, families, preachers, how so-and-so doing, how so-and-so doing. He knew their kids' names, and I, I've heard him say to people, I'm praying for you. You're on my list. I got a preacher friend in Indiana, Brother Holt. I met him, I don't know, 12, 10, 12 years ago. I love that old man. And one time I talked to him, and he said, you're on my master list. Oh, that's sweet. I hope I'm still on that list. I don't know if it's because we were both cancer survivors or because of the friendship, we, but uh, I appreciate that. I want to be on somebody's list. I need that. Um, I got a list. It's small. I'm not very good at lists. I'm terrible at them. But I got a small. I thought, well, I'll start small. And I got a small one at work, and I wrote all the names real small. It's probably got 40, 50 names on it. And uh, I got a section there, widows. Last year, I ran into Mrs. Blunkall, 
And I, I, after these, you know, a year or two after these fellas passed, Buddy, Buddy Blanc all passed away and some others that I've known, I'll see their widows and I encourage them and I'll say, you're on my widows list, I pray for you. And Phyllis says, oh, there's a bunch of us. I got four pages. And I felt, I felt pretty small. <laughs> but then again, Buddy's taking her all around the country and she knows a lot of people. And uh, so, yeah, she probably needs a big list. That's sweet. But uh, she was doing well. She was doing well. That particular night, I don't know if it's that night, but during that meeting, she gave Buddy's guitar to uh, Brother Thren, and he played it that night. He's taken Buddy's guitar, his, his good one. He, that he, he always had a junky guitar all of years, but he got a Martin towards the end, <laughs> and he passed it on to somebody else. Um, those are some examples of lists. I'm terrible at it. If you're a list person, glory to God. Put me on your list. Um, memory. My, uh, my wife's grandmother, when she was dying, she was in the hospice, and she was in and out of her mind, and she has two daughters, and when my mother-in-law would come around, she'd be in her right mind. She'd be sane. My kids would come around. She was herself but her other sister would come around and she was talking out of her head and doing crazy things and so the two sisters you know she's okay no she's not okay they it was wild but in the last days when she was in her right mind she prayed by memory and my mother-in-law said she prayed for everybody in the family she just rolled through their names like she had to list in front of her face she knew and my wife and I both agreed when she passed, she was the last of that generation in our family. When she passed away, this world got a little bit colder for us. I, I knew, we knew we lost somebody that was praying for us. You could sense it. You could feel it. Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. And uh, I just want to encourage you in that way. Memory. I, I, that's, that's what I work on is Memory. I try to uh, pray in the morning, and some, some mornings I'll get the list, but a lot of times it's in the dark, and I, I, you know, I, I pray for certain things, and usually our pastor and his wife's in the first few people, and I don't know if it's because of where you sit, but uh, the Andrews get a lot of prayer, whether it's alphabetical or because you're up front, I don't know, or because there's so many of you, but I usually... I usually cover all the Andrews, and the Barlesses are right after them, and... Sorry, Brother Jerry, you're way down the list. <laughs> but, but Dee Dee's before Jay, so she gets prayer before you. No, I'm just kidding. But some of it's where you sit. I try to pray for, I try to pray for you all. I try to mentally get you in my head. And I thought I had it covered. I come in a couple Sundays ago, and I had a good morning prayer. And I got in looking around, and I counted almost 12 to 14 people I totally missed. So I got to work on it. But... Uh, if, you're, if you're a lady that's pregnant, going to have a baby, I'm praying for you most of that nine months. And it, it thrills my soul when things go well for you. It, it's easy to remember that because I like looking at the babies. They're cute. <laughs> They're cute. I like them. And uh, yeah, I just I pray for you folks. I appreciate what you do. Um, on, that, on that half, people that work in the church, you got Jerry and and uh, Amy playing the instruments, and David doing sound and playing instruments. You know, if, if the Lord, if you're carrying a heavy burden, and we have an invitation, 
I imagine pastor wouldn't mind if you left your post and slipped down the altar. We could do without a piano long enough for you to unload that burden. We could do without the organ long enough for you to unload that burden. Strike while the iron's hot, man. Get it off your chest. Deal with the Lord when he touches your heart. I got three sons that work in sound booths in three different Baptist churches. I think that is so strange. That is not what I would have chose. I'm against sound people because uh, when, when I was younger, I saw the sound people that used to be up in a room and they'd get backslid and they'd never come to the altar and they'd start having spiritual problems. The next thing you know, they're gone. I thank God our booth is at least in the same room. They can't escape the preaching. They can't up, be up there playing video games or, or watching something or, you know, they got to be participant. It's good if your pastor moves around, make sure they're on their toes so they keep up with the camera. But... Uh, don't feel bad about losing, leaving your post and, and praying when God deals with you about something. It'll help you. Don't hold it in. Offices of the church can kill you. I found out as a deacon, you know what I found out as a deacon? A deacon doesn't have a vent. The pastor has a vent. He sees all the garbage and he can sometime unload a little bit of it in his preaching to get a little help. The deacon holds it all up here till about drives him insane. Because he can't tell his wife, he can't talk to people. All he can do is talk to the Lord and wait and see if the thing comes out. That's probably where I got more into the memory work because I had a third of the alphabet and I prayed for a whole brother on that list and and uh, and uh, brother Napier was on my portion of the alphabet and I prayed for them and their kids every day. Uh, speaking of list. Uh, Ruth used to be on my widow's list, but brother, she's your problem now. I, I scratched her name off. And just like I scratched off brother Dan's name and different folks as they head to heaven. Like I say, my list is small and my memory's struggling. I'm struggling in the mornings. I don't know whether it's... You can, you can remove yourself from a lot of the world and the junk and not pay attention to what's going on and you're still going to struggle with that mind because it's connected to your flesh. You can be careful what you put in your eyes and you're still going to struggle. I've tried to figure it out. Is it because I'm too busy? Because I'm, we spend a lot of time lately at David's house working on it. Boy, does he owe me. <laughs> I hope he takes care of my wife when I kick the bucket. <laughs> All them boys should, man. I saved them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars with the labor that they're getting out of me. He pays us in ice cream sandwiches. Better keep it stocked up. <clears throat> Your prayers make a difference. Uh, Moses' prayers moved God to spare Israel. You can learn from David's prayers and others. Last week I learned something. We were looking at, uh, Adam was preaching about Jacob. Genesis 32, 9 through 11. Jacob's prayer was brought on by distress and fear. I, I, and as looking at it, as he was preaching, I thought, you know, I bet he didn't pray a whole lot till trouble came. He, he was going back. It, you don't hear a lot of recorded things about Jacob praying. Um, and he, one time when he prayed, he said he'd give a tenth of everything, and he probably felt guilty because he never did it. So he's giving it all to Esau later. And I, I think the Lord played a trick on him because when he starts wrestling with this man and you don't know who it is, he's probably thinking it's Esau, he's going to kill me. And he's fighting for his life. And then somewhere in there he realizes it's the Lord. I need this blessing from him. I don't know. 
But I learned something from his prayer. You can learn a lot from Bible prayers. Uh, just watching how people, uh, I mean, it's endless. I, I was scrounging around. I looked at my little book on the topical textbook and looked at the little outlines on prayer. You could spend a long time studying the thing. Just get to doing it. You know what to do. Talk to God. It's not hard. We don't need to complicate it. But if you want to know all the ins and outs, it's available. It's a good subject. I learned something from uh, reading testimonies of preachers or biographies. Peter Cartwright's autobiography, he was a Methodist circuit-riding preacher. And it put me under conviction reading it because every house he'd stay at, he'd ride horseback. And part of the deal was where he stayed is he's going to have evening prayer with that family, lost or saved. And he's going to get them in on it. That's just what he did. He'd have a church service, but he'd have something at that house where he was staying and he would pressure them into, we're going to have, I'm going to have evening pray, prayer and I'm going to pray for your family. And, and, you know, if they were any kind of host or hospitable at all, they would accept that. And he'd end up winning a lot of people over the week's meeting by staying in their home and showing them he cared and he loved them. He'd have evening prayer with them. And uh, I read some other books and preachers, they did the same kind of thing and put me under conviction. I thought, oh. You know, if there's things that are difficult to do in a family, family devotions, praying with your children, praying with your wife, don't come easy. If you can pull it off, go for it. My wife's grandparents were, they were teamwork. They're old Baptist folks. Annabelle Duvall got saved as a child and Jack was saved young. It was teamwork. And I remember going over to their house. They were sweet people, very sweet. And, uh, Something would break. I remember something in the bathtub broke, and we had to change a valve. And my Grandpa Jack come out of there and told Annabelle, we need to pray. <laughs> we had trouble with it. Their solution to getting through the hurdles of life, little things like that, was prayer. I'd rather have somebody that prays and know God through prayer than a bunch of Bible. Amen. I, I've known a lot of Bible believers get too heady and they know so much stuff that they operate on what they know. And man, does it get dry. They're dry. They'll hurt you. They'll hurt people. You've got to find a balance in there. You love people and figure out how to pray, how to, how to minister them in prayer. Your prayers make a difference. Our, our prayers, I wouldn't pray if I didn't believe this. Our prayers might salvage a marriage. They may uh, stop a young person from going to the far country. They might uh, uh, recover a backslider. They might protect a loved one. They might have a part in somebody's salvation. You know, Paul said, he, he, you know, he, one of them watered, one of them planted, and God giveth increase, Paul and Apollos. I mean, you can have a part in some things by praying. Um, add prayer to everything. We need to. We need to. I told the guys this morning at the jail, I, they, uh, they had a few of our guys preached, and I, I told Neil, I said, I'll be last. I want to be last. So I just sized up what was going on, and I waited. And at the end, I did something. I told them, I took the fellow through those verses in 1 John 5 once and assured, made sure he was saved. We had one guy. Made sure he was saved. Then I made sure he understand that God would hear his prayers if he's saved to encourage him. 
And then I, I told him, I said, I learned something a long time ago. I figured this out, and I start, started practicing it. I deal, do it with inmates in them church services with the jail, at the old jail especially. I'd get them to pray at the end. I felt like here they come up to the bars. It's not much of a service, but there's a part of church at the very end when the invitation is given. Even if you don't come to the altar, that's your business time. That's not the time to... You know, that's the time to just, you talk to God. You evaluate what's, if the message isn't for you, you know, pray for those around you. But it's a good time just to thank God if he's kept you out of trouble or if he's kept you from whatever's being preached and you haven't gotten got involved in those kind of sins or whatever, uh, or you're encouraged, discouraged, it's time to pray. And I said, I said, here's what I started doing with them inmates years ago. I said, look, I'm going to pray for you. And what I'm going to do when I get done, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a minute or two. I'll stop. You keep your head bowed. Pray for yourself. And when you're done, look up. And I started doing that years ago. And I watched them inmates do it. And it was sweet. It's quiet. And, and these men would bow their heads. And you could tell they were praying. They take two, three, four minutes sometimes. They were concerned and they wanted help, but it got them to cry out to God. And I thought, that little moment there is more important than all them words I might have said. Get them to do business with God. So we did that today. It was fun. And our guys prayed. And, and then we got done and I said, my old pastor used to say, after God, folks did business with God, he'd say, all hearts clear. And he'd say, God bless you. Have a good day. So I, I put that on him at the jail this morning, and uh, I hope it sticks with some folks. When you hear preaching, when you hear a message, do business with God. I do it with simple listen to recordings. I listen to some. I listen to some of the camp messages, and I get done with it, and I talk to the Lord about it. Whether there's something in there for me, if you miss that element, you don't make that connection with God, then you've left out a big portion of why you come to church. And I've seen guys that get disgusted with coming to church thinking it was, you know, saying it's a waste of time and people don't move, people don't get right. I'm thinking, well, what about you? <laughs> Next thing you know, they're out. <clears throat> don't worry about everybody else. You do business with God. You can at least, if everything's going well with you, you can at least thank Him for where you're at and what's going on in your heart and life. Pray, brethren, pray. And I titled this, probably way too late for the title, did you think to pray? I remember there was a family called the Marshall family. John Marshall had about 10 kids way back in the 80s, and they had a song, and then the chorus was, Did you think to pray? Ere you left your bed this morning, did you think to pray? And he had a series of things. Did you think to pray? Put God in the situation by prayer. Sorry there's no good flowery outline, but it's been a burden on my heart. Lord's left it on me all week. He wouldn't let me shake it. So we must be uh, struggling with the balance of prayer in our life or, or whatever's hindering. Ask God to help you. I need help. I need a lot. <laughs> You'll never be satisfied with your prayer life, so I don't want you to feel like you're false conviction or something like that. But ask Him to help you, and He will. Uh, but... But give it some effort so that he don't just put some trial or trouble in your life so you definitely pray. Amen. <laughs> when, I, when I 
when they told me I had cancer and my legs started shaking, you, you know, my knees were knocking together. I'm laying on the bed. And I told that doctor, I said, you're going to have to give me something for this. I can't control my, my knees. I, said, I got the Belshazzar syndrome. When he saw the handwriting on the wall, man, he was playing Yankee Doodle, knocking his knees together. I mean, it scared me. But I was on praying ground, couldn't reach pastor, assistant pastor. And the Lord said, it's all on you. My wife's falling apart. So let's pray, honey. And, then, and I was, it was good. I didn't have to clear the airwaves. I was on praying ground. And, and it, it definitely taught me how to pray. I prayed a lot. I prayed sitting in that waiting room, awaiting the first chemo treatment. And the Lord was right there with me the whole time. I was scared to death. When I first time I went down that cancer ward to the hospital and went down on that lower floor and saw them women with the little white hats because all their hair had fallen out, I sat in them chairs and thought, boy, I've just enrolled into the school of suffering. Boy, am I in for it. They started doing scans and tests. It was scary. I didn't like it. But it definitely strengthened my prayer life. Work on it on your own so you don't have to go through trouble. I'll end with that. Did you think to pray?